This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, April 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, new housing development planned for the meadows, the mountain closes, legislation heads to Governor Polis, and a mountain weather forecast. A new housing development is coming to Mountain Village. In a public-private partnership, the town of Mountain Village is working with Triumph Development, a Colorado-based development company, to create a new housing project in the Meadows. Within the town, we are trying to create a wide range of products that will address the affordable housing crisis. That includes for rent and for sale products uh, in a variety of product types, from studios to three bedrooms. That's Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser speaking at a community meeting about the housing development last week. The project will sit on Lot 644 in the Meadows. The 1.4-acre parcel was designated to be affordable housing when Mountain Village incorporated itself in the mid-90s. According to Mike Foster, with Triumph Development, the project will create 33 units, a mix of a multifamily building, mixing one bedroom and studio condos. has storage on the ground level, and then it's got two levels on the downhill side or on the south side, three levels of living on the uphill side or on the north side. has a configuration of 10 one-bedroom units and three studio units. Studio units could be combined with a one bedroom to make a two bedroom, two bath. But in this count, it counts for 13 units of our proposed 33. There will be two and three bedroom townhomes on the uphill side of the lot. So this is a a townhome configuration that has a one car garage, has entry on the ground level. The end units have one level of living above that ground level. The middle unit has two levels of living above that ground level. So from the back side, the end units will look like they're only one story tall, where the middle two units would look like they're two stories tall. These range in size from about 1,200 to 1,300 square feet all the way up to about 1,800 square feet. And another set of townhomes on the downhill side. These do not have garages because of their working into the site. So out front, we've got 16 carports. So each unit will have a a covered car space. And then in that, they've also got storage for bicycles and skis and golf clubs and just all the toys that, that we all have and a good spot to store them there. Foster says Triumph plans to use modular construction to build the homes. He says for the 33 units, there will be 59 parking spaces. Foster notes it's important for the development to park itself. Looking at the lot, the Jurassic Trail runs through the land. Foster says they plan to redirect the trail while still keeping it on the lot. What we're proposing to do is to bring the the Jurassic Park Trail down right along the south property line, still keeping it on lot 644's property, and then working with the grades, it actually works out pretty nice to work with the the natural grades that are there today. It'll go along the, the, the south property line there, and then as it gets to the far to, to the far left or to the west, it would go more vertical up the up the page and tie into the existing trail as it goes off to the to the west today. Weiser and Foster say the partnership is still discussing what the deed restriction for the units will look like, but the condos and townhomes will be for sale. Here's Foster. Right now, we're, we're thinking that because of our diversity in unit type, all the way from a studio, which is about 500 square feet, to the largest 
three bedroom, three bath, 1800 square foot townhome. These are gonna range in cost from $300,000 to $950,000. When it comes to funding, Weiser says the town of Mountain Village will allocate money to the development with the plan of recouping the costs. The town would contribute uh, $4.3 million up front. And then um, as the units are getting sold, we will get uh, repaid that amount um, on an equal basis with Triumph, and then we will have a 20 share in any profits that are realized on the back end. We are not doing this for a profit. Um, any you know, profit that we do realize, we will put back into an additional uh, affordable projects, either in town or you know, out of town, as we pursue more of those. The Meadows project is still at the beginning process of development. Mountain Village Town Council will discuss the project more at its April 21st meeting. The dancing has ended, the pond skim got spectators and participants thoroughly soaked, the lifts are no longer running. With the off-season comes the closure of the mountain for a time. The mountain will be closed to all traffic from April 4th through April 8th, while Telski operations clear up the area and prepare for spring construction and summer operations. Uphill access on the mountain will reopen on April 9th, but Telski officials urge recreators to be aware of unmarked hazards, operational traffic, and plowing. Officials ask individuals to respect closure signs and give snowcats, snowmobiles, heavy equipment, and all mountain traffic the right of way. In addition to the routine cleanup, Telski is preparing to replace Lift 9. The ski resort says the construction preparation will require early access road plowing and heavy construction. As a result, the resort says there will be no access to the mountain starting late April. Prospect Basin will be closed May 20th through June 30th for elk calving. At the same time, the gondola has closed for the spring. The transit system closes twice a year during the off-season for routine maintenance. San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation buses will be providing extra service during that time to accommodate. Bus service will run between Lawson Hill, Telluride, and Mountain Village starting at 6.05 a.m. April 4th through May 25th when the gondola reopens. The Colorado General Assembly is kicking into gear with the budget and a number of bills heading to Governor Jared Polis's desk. This week on Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz shares the latest. Scott, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Governor Jared Polis signed a bunch of bills uh, into law uh, last week, and I was hoping you could give a little bit of a, um, a rundown of, of what some of those new laws we have on the books are. Yeah, so one of the most impactful ones was the uh, Vote Without Fear Act. I know we've talked about it a couple times. In recent weeks, this is the one that will ban the open carrying of guns at polling places, really a response to reports, you know, everywhere from Salida to Littleton um, about people showing up at polling locations in recent elections with guns and making people feel uncomfortable. There's another interesting one that, uh, you know, a lot of lawmakers said they were surprised they felt they even needed to pass a law to clarify that it's okay for kids to play outside alone and it not be um, child abuse. Uh, there were parents who were complaining that you know, they were letting their kids walk to school or um, play outside on a playground alone. And, um, you know, they get calls from um, 
you know, the authorities. So Jared Polis signed a, a new law that, that clarifies that that's okay. You know, there's another interesting one that, that your listeners will probably be interested in um, involving lodging tax. Uh, you know, for, uh, for a while, communities could only use that, you know, to basically market themselves um, to try and draw tourists in. Um, this new law says that communities can use their lodging tax revenue to pay for things like um, affordable housing or uh, child care centers and so kind of redirecting money that's always been by law um, you know only available for tourism uh, to kind of uh, mitigate against the impact of tourism yeah so you know these bills are passed now they've been signed into law now will they all then go into effect immediately or is there a, a pause or a, a lead time on on how long it takes for them to actually be implemented in into people's lives yeah it, it really depends on the bill for example the vote without fear act does take effect immediately um, and this is because lawmakers can um, basically when they pass a law if they say it's necessary for the the health and safety uh, you know of residents, they can basically do away with the normal kind of waiting period that they build in to allow people to petition or, um, you know, try and challenge a law, um, something that is deemed necessary for health or safety. I also wanted to touch base with you on the budget. You know, we've talked about it quite a bit, but it recently passed the House. And something that I thought was interesting that, that you reported on is it passed through the House. Uh, Democrats have the majority, but there were no Republican, um, there was no Republican support for, for this bill to pass. Can you share a little bit, you know, from, from your perspective of why that happened and what that means? Sure. Well, it, it's not... It's not uncommon for budgets to pass without bipartisan support, especially, you know, when when much of it is crafted, you know, with the, the majority in power. Um, that's not to say Republicans don't like a lot of the things in the budget. And in fact, they were, um, you know, successfully able to um, amend it in a couple of ways in the House. For example, there was a, you know, amendment to, to raise pay for, for state troopers. Um, and I mean, some of it is, you know, just uh, we're heading into an election year. Um, we've heard, you know, Republicans are very concerned about the growth of government. They disagree with, um, you know, this this record spending that we're seeing, um, you know, as the, the economy recovers. So it's not so much a reflection of Republicans disagreeing with with the entire budget as it is just a um, you know, a vote against the direction of where the the total dollars and cents are moving. With that passed through the House, um, what are the next steps before this budget is actually adopted by the state? Well, we'll go through a very similar process this week in the Senate. Um, they'll look over everything and, and have their turn to, you know, propose amendments. And when we get to this amendment phase, a lot of it is lawmakers lobbying for things that they you know, they think their constituents want, similar to how Congress tries to tack things onto a budget. Most of them will be rejected, but, you know, we usually see the budget move um, by some millions of dollars each year. And then after the Senate, 
goes through, it'll, uh, you know, the both, both chambers will kind of come together in a committee and sort out, you know, the path forward. And we'll probably have this budget um, on its way to the governor, um, you know, within the next couple of weeks. Well, Scott, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Thank you. That was State House reporter Scott Franz reporting from Denver. Spring has sprung and the off-season is officially here. Off-season, of course, means a number of restaurants around Telluride and Mountain Village are closing, but some food options will stick around. Keeping their lights on through the off-season are Cindy Bread, Coffee Cowboy, which actually will close in May, Corner House Grill, La Cocina de Luz, The Sawpit Mercantile, and Steamies. Alpinist and the Goat, Baked in Telluride, Brown Dog, Butcher and Baker, Caravan, Esperanzas, High Pie, Oak, Smuggler's, Stronghouse, Telluride, Truffle, The View Bar and Grill, and Woodier will be closed for several weeks in April. Days and hours of operation may vary, so make sure to check ahead of time. A number of prescribed burns are coming to San Miguel County. Both the Grand Mesa and Compagre and Gunnison National Forests and the Bureau of Land Management Trace Rios Field Office will be conducting prescribed burns across the forests this spring. According to the agencies, the purpose of the burns is to reduce vegetation and thereby lower risk of large wildfires. It can also help improve wildlife habitat and ecosystem health. Burns will take place across San Miguel County on the G-Mug, including at Glencone Pine near Nucla. 450 acres will be burned to increase resiliency and reproduction of ponderosa pines. Sanborn Park, five miles northeast of Norwood, will burn approximately 160 acres to increase ponderosa pine resiliency and reproduction and protect nearby property from wildfire. Approximately 350 acres will be burned on Thunder Road, roughly five miles southeast of Norwood. The burn will look to increase resiliency and reproduction of ponderosa pine, improve wildlife habitat, increase range, and protect property from unplanned wildfires. The G-Mug will burn roughly 500 acres on the east side of Edjo Draw, 10 miles south of Norwood. The burn will aim to increase resiliency and reproduction of ponderosa pine and improve wildlife habitat. WIMP-1, 20 miles east of Norwood on Sanborn Park Road, will burn approximately 800 acres. Finally, the BLM plans to burn nearly 900 acres, about 10 miles east of Egner. The GMUG and BLM will begin burns in April and continue for several months, as weather and vegetation conditions allow. A new study from the U.S. Forest Service shows that existing water conservation efforts might not be enough to meet demand in the future, as climate change causes drought to be more severe. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. In 2015, water use in the U.S. reached its lowest level in four decades. But scientists warned that trend is overshadowed by challenges in regions struck by drought. The future of water use is hard to predict, but this study says it's very unlikely that it'll go down. Even the best-case scenario sees an 8% reduction in water use nationally. The worst? a 235% increase as demand goes up and supply goes down. The report from the Rocky Mountain Research Station points out that agriculture is often the largest water user, and the impact of climate change on that sector will be a major factor in the future of water use. The study's authors say understanding the future of drought is the key to adapting going forward. I'm Alex Hager. 
What kind of person comes to mind when you think of a national park ranger? If you're picturing a rugged, white middle-aged mountain man, you're probably not alone. But the National Park Service is trying to change that stereotype through a program called NPS Academy, which hosted a spring break orientation at Grand Teton National Park in March. Kyle Mackey of KHOL Jackson reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. As long as the heel is behind... Crouched down in the snow on a brilliantly sunny afternoon in Grand Teton National Park, David Linares is putting on snowshoes for the very first time. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Where are you from? SoCal. Okay. So, so yeah, right. we so, seldom get snow up there. Yeah, probably yeah. not a lot of snowshoeing. Linares is the first-generation son of Mexican immigrants. This summer, he'll be trading balmy Southern California for the Montana backcountry as an intern at Glacier National Park. I found out about the Academy through an ad on social media and I kind of looked into it more and it was something that I've always wanted to get into conservation. I just knew that the Park Service was probably one of the best ways to get into it. Now in its 12th year, NPS Academy is a paid program available to 18 to 30 year olds from backgrounds that have been historically underrepresented in the National Park Service. Julie Gonzalez is Community Engagement Coordinator at Grand Teton National Park and an alumna of the Academy who helped coordinate this year's orientation. The goal of the program is not necessarily employment, but rather to just create connections with marginalized communities or underrepresented communities in our country to their National Park Service sites. The Academy does that by recruiting a diverse group of participants, 18 this year, who get a week of training over spring break and then go on to summer internships at parks across the country, including Mount Rainier in Washington and Acadia in Maine. Angelina Pius from Lexington, Kentucky, will be working with backcountry rangers at Grand Teton this summer. She identifies as Black or African American. I think it's really great to be able to have diversity because I think people are more I'm willing to participate in things when they see people that look like them also participating in those things. And new scary experience might be made a little bit less um, scary if they are um, with people that maybe are from a similar background. Diversity also means lots of different things for the participants. Gabby Thompson of Page, Arizona, identifies as white and as a lesbian. Marissa Lopez of San Diego, California, is a biracial Filipino-American. When you see somebody that looks like you, that talks like you, um, or somebody that has their pronoun buttons kind of on their uniform, that really means, especially at least for me, that like queer folks are here and we are present um, and we are successful. And you because can. like me, I'm like I'm like a relatively like small like uh, like Asian girl. Um, so like you don't see a lot of that in the park service, or at least when I was growing up, that's not something you saw a lot. So, yeah, I'm very excited to, like, see not just, like, myself in that position, but, like, see, like, a lot of my peers doing a lot of the same thing. Um, And hopefully just, like, inspire the next generation as well to see, like, oh, More than 500 interns have gone through the MPS Academy since it started in 2011, far ahead of the more recent calls for racial justice sparked by the 2020 murder of George Floyd. And while it's hard to quantify the program's success since employment isn't its only goal— Alumni like Gonzalez and Lushana Watkins are proof that the program is helping young people from diverse backgrounds jumpstart careers in the Park Service. The community that this program builds is unlike any other community I've ever really been in that has been like created by an internship program. 
Watkins is an Asian-American woman from Illinois. Being adopted is also an important part of her identity. As a media associate for the Grand Teton Association, Watkins is putting her educational background in both chemistry and communications to good work. And she says she still keeps in touch with the friends she went through NPS Academy with. As someone who is coming into the workforce in the Park Service and it's still majority like white, it's useful to have that community of people that are scattered all over the country who are like have a shared experience and we can like talk about NPS Academy or we can talk about like our experiences in the workplace and like that support system is is built in. Back outside for the hike, a majority of the group raises their hands when asked if it's their first time snowshoeing. How many of you have never been snowshoeing before? Awesome! I I love that. So this is going to be a really fun activity. Not to worry, the ranger promises, getting them on will be the hardest part of the whole walk. Kyle Mackey, KHL News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of snow showers tonight with increasing clouds and a low around freezing. Tuesday, there is a slight chance of rain and snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a high around 50 degrees. Tuesday night should be mostly cloudy and blustery with a low around 20 degrees. Wednesday, expect sunny skies during the day and clear skies at night with a high near 40 degrees and a low around 20. This has been the news for Monday, April 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be scaling back for the next two weeks with newscasts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during that time. We will start back with our full news programming on April 18th.